Howdy folks, welcome to our podcast, American Cowboy in New Zealand. This is Ben Longwell with True West Horsemanship. We're glad you're here. Join us as we share stories and adventures and interview extraordinary men and women in the equine and ranching industries to gain insight into horsemanship and life itself. It is our mission to help people and their horses better understand one another and achieve together that which they cannot do individually. Thanks for riding along with us. Alrighty guys, thanks for tuning in and uh, hope you're having a great day and looking forward to listening to another episode on horsemanship and how we can do better, better communicators and better people for our horses. You know, the term horsemanship, it's kind of become a catchword and a popular term in the equine industry and it, I think it's regularly misused. I think some folks use it to refer to a ridden pattern in a show, you know, the, the horsemanship side of, of showing and uh, you, you ride this pattern. Or for other people, it's certain groundwork maneuvers you go through and you, you go through and you do these maneuvers, you know, you can ask your horse to circle or face up to you or back up or various things, you know, stuff that we do. Sometimes it seems like the term is used as if the quote, quote unquote, natural horsemanship is just another event or discipline that we're going to do with our horses in and of itself. But I think, I think it's simply defined as a way of being around a horse that fits the horse. There are a multitude of ways to have a horse do something, to get a horse to do something. There may be a hundred different ways that are successful in that they're effective or you get the horse to do that thing. But there's only a few of those hundred ways, maybe the top 10 or something you could say fit the horse that are ways or approaches that fit the way a horse thinks, the way they look at life. So that to me is horsemanship. I had a fella a few days ago ask me a question. It was online uh, and uh, he was asking about if he'd done the right thing or if, if how he could have done better and he was dealing with this young horse that somebody else had started or he'd been told that it was started and he was riding it a little bit and every once in a while it would freak out and would either go to bucking or flying backwards. And he, I, I said, well, what, what did you do? What did you do to help the horse right there? And he said, well, I, I beat on him every time he did that. And I thought, okay. okay. Uh, and I asked him, how did that work? You know, what was the results of that? He said, well, he seemed to get a little better, you know, like he wouldn't do it quite as much, but he still would do it every once in a while. Like if you really ask him, if you needed him to go chase a cow or something to happen now and you kind of kind of put the pressure on, that's what would happen. And I, I guess I, I had to explain to him that, well, for, for one thing, you know, beating a horse doesn't answer any questions. It probably makes the anxiety worse, gives him even more reason to be scared because it doesn't increase understanding right? And so there's a lot of ways that we do things with horses that don't fit. And that's an extreme example, maybe. And for most of you, I think you, you would think that's a pretty extreme example. But the reality is, is there's a lot of things that we're doing even within the realm of natural horsemanship that don't necessarily fit very well. 
And I'm going to touch on a few of these things today, and I hope I don't get myself in trouble, but there's a few things that I want to touch on. And I want to dig a little deeper into the two modes of communication and to try to bring some clarity around this. The two modes of communication that we start in our groundwork, you know, there's lots of catchwords that you hear, you know, within horsemanship circles and clinics and, and this sector of the equine industry here, partnership, leadership, communication, body language. You know, we talked in episode five about body language or the indirect feel as, as I refer to it. If you haven't listened to that yet, make sure you don't miss that episode. I'm going to talk today about the direct feel. Now, the direct feel is any tool that we have typically on their heads. Now, it can be different things and we can do, we can do different stuff than that. But typically, we take a tool like a halter or a bridle, a snaffle bit or whatever, and we put that on their heads. That is what I refer to as the direct feel. Okay, so groundwork then most often starts in the rope halter. As aspiring horsemen, we need to become increasingly aware. <laughs> we need to become aware, and then we need to become increasingly aware of how we're using this tool, and we need to understand what its primary purpose actually is. Otherwise, as humans, we are very good at inventing tools. We're very good at using tools, and we very easily and even subconsciously use those tools for a majority of our communication. Our hands are busy, and we have a tool in our hands, we're gonna use it, and we use it without thinking about how much we're using it, or how much we could be doing other things with the rest of our body to communicate to a horse that speaks body language, rather than relying so much on our tools. So, there's times when we're operating our body language or the indirect feel, but we're not conscious of it because we're so busy trying to do stuff with our tools and with our hands and trying to make most of our communication happen there. An example of this is the person who tries to micromanage their horse's movement or the movement that they're not wanting and the horse is moving. And you guys, we, we've all been there probably and you've all seen someone uh, with a tight grip on the lead right under the horse's chin. Typically, the human's trying to do some task or talk with another human, and their horse is anxious in the mind and thus busy in the feet. The horse does his best to respond to the constant holding pressure on the halter, but because the person never really regains his mind or helps him deal with his anxiety, there's this little conflict that's going on, and the person may or may not even be fully aware of it, depending on what else they're trying to accomplish but they're, they're probably a little bit frustrated because they feel like they're trying to get that horse to stand still and that they're, that they're communicating that in the best way they know how, and that horse can't stand still, still and he's not getting that idea. And so there's this conflict of interest, and the, the medium of communication there is the direct feel or that halter that that person's hanging on so hard, and the horse is not responding to that. He's not, he's not getting the right idea, right? He may be staying with the person to a degree, and basically what's happening is they're both in survival mode, right? They're just trying to get through a situation. The horse is anxious or nervous or, or, or for some reason feels like he can't, he can't stand still and needs to move his feet. The person is managing to try to do whatever they're trying to do in addition to deal with their horse, 
and as long as the person is able to accomplish that task and sort of live through that situation, then what happens is they don't really see anything wrong with the whole situation. Or they say the horse is naughty, you know, that, that uh, they, because they felt like he was, they were trying to make him stand still and he wasn't, so he's naughty, you see. But see, one of the many problems created by this very simple and common situation is just the lack of response by the horse to the direct feel because of the lack of understanding of the, in the human. So, like I said, he's not truly yielding to the halter. He's not truly responding to the halter. So the first thing we need to be clear about is that the primary purpose of the direct feel is to ask the horse to yield or flex at the pole in both lateral and vertical directions. I'll say that again. The main or primary purpose of the direct feel is to ask the horse to yield or soften or flex at the pole both laterally or to the side and vertically which is not just up and down but actually bringing the face back towards the vertical a softening of the pole vertically or longitudinally might be a better word for that okay this is true this is uh, applicable both on the ground and under saddle the three main jobs that we do with, say, the rope halter, again, going back to those basics on the ground, is leading, tying, and groundwork. All three will have the quality we're looking for if we're clear about this purpose of yielding or flexion. All three of those jobs will be able to get, be accomplished, but be done well and have that quality. So all too often, Folks are instructed, even within the realm of natural horsemanship, to use the lead rope, the halter, in ways that actually cause the horse to brace, rather than to yield or soften. An example of this that I see quite commonly is that of flicking the rope to either stop the horse from coming forward or to send him backwards. Okay, so say you've got a horse working around you in a circle and you want him to stop or to, to slow down and you jiggle, you flick that rope or jiggle that rope to either slow him down or stop him. He's coming towards you, you flick the rope to back him up or you ask him to back and, you're, and you, you work towards and you're told to, to wiggle or flick that rope. Even to the point at sometimes where uh, you're bumping him in the, in the jaw with the, the clip, if there's, if there's a dog clip on that, on that lead rope. Most of the time, a horse's natural reaction to that lead rope flipping and flicking under his chin is to drive his head up. When he drives his head up, he's pushing his front feet into the ground, and that's brace. There's vertical brace from the tip of his nose all the way through his pole, head and neck, front, front end, all the way down to the ground in his feet. He's pushing and driving that head up like that. And so what happens is we're causing brace with the very tool that we actually should be dealing with brace or helping them relax, soften, yield, and flex. So the way that we operate this tool can make all the difference in the way the horse may respond. Simply doing what we're asking him to do. You know, the thing is, we want response. We don't simply want him to do what we make him do, right? We, I talked in a previous episode about the three R's, response, resistance, and reaction. So if you haven't listened to that one, be sure and check that out. 
response is based in trust and understanding. So that's a big thing. That's mental and emotional okayness, right? So, for instance, a constant steady pressure. Talking about the direct feel, a constant steady pressure is most often met with a tendency in the horse to lean on that pressure to a certain degree or to meet that pressure with a steady pressure, okay? So we don't want to give them anything to lean against, all right, first and foremost. Now, a real sensitive horse won't do that, but, but by and large, most of them have a certain lean to them and they'll pull or lean into that steady pressure. Even when they're, quote unquote, doing what we want them to do there, there's a heaviness there because the horse isn't thinking it, all right? I'll give you an example, and I do this, I do this at all my clinics. A lot of my clinics, I talk about the tug-of-war, and I have a person hold the end of the lead rope, and I, and I have them hold it steady and firm, not yielding. And I'll pick up that rope, and I'll ask them if they can feel me take the weight out of that lead rope, and they can. And, uh, and then what I'm talking about is, is that horse that doesn't make a change, that horse that doesn't uh, move his feet or lead or, or, or bend, right, when we're, when we're trying to operate this direct feel. And what we tend to do is pull and hold and pull harder. And, and we're pulling, we're bracing, they're bracing. Now we're bracing on each other. And what we've done there is we've reverted our communication to a basis of strength and weight, okay, this is not a good basis for our communication with an animal that is physically superior to us. A horse is stronger, heavier, faster than we are. It's not a good idea to base our communication on strength. And so when we pull and we get strong and we hold or haul or try to make them bend there, for instance, we're they may do it. They may allow us to do that. And so this is why we keep doing these things is because it, it appears to work. All right. It fits in those 100 different ways that appears to be effective, but it doesn't fit the horse and the horse doesn't have to think what we're actually asking him to do. Anything you want your horse to do, anything. Try to figure out how to get him to think about doing it. Try to figure out how to ask him to think it. All right. So Instead of using force and it becoming a tug-of-war between the two of you, when I pick up and I take the weight out of that lead rope and the person says they can feel that, the horse could feel that. He may not know what to do with it or he may not care. He may not be conscious or, or understand what it could mean, but he could feel it. We want that to mean something. If it doesn't, I'm actually going to put some life in that lead rope. I'm going to put a little jiggle with the back of my hand, my pinky, just putting a little bumping action in that lead rope so that there's a little life there that sort of puts a signal down that lead. Now that horse still may not know what it is I'm looking for. Maybe he's never been asked for lateral flexion or if he has, maybe he's always been drug around. This is just an example, right? But at some point he's going to say, how do I get you to quit doing that? And if he hauls off or he's bracy or he pulls against me or whatever, I can firm that up. I can become pretty uncomfortable with a bumping action, even if I've got to get my forearm involved to firm up that bumping discomfort in my action there. And I'm looking for him to make the change. I want him to make the change, not me. I'm trying to get him to think towards me. I'm watching his eye. I'm watching his ear. I'm watching his nose. I want him to think towards me. 
If he thinks towards me, his head starts to come towards me. He gets release. He gets release as soon as he thinks. Okay, This is where lightness comes from. We can talk about softness, and there's a lot of sensitive horses that are soft, right? Okay, they're, they're light, but are they thinking it? Is it responsive, or are they just super sensitive and more on the edge of reaction with it? Okay, that's a whole other subject there, but I want to draw his attention towards me there, and I want to help him find release for that. So I set it up so the horse understands the question and then can choose to respond. I want him to bring his head himself, and I want him to bring his brain with his head, not just let me drag him around. When they do that, and so often that's the way horses operate, is they're sort of just letting us do these things, not really thinking about or not really fully okay with it or engaged mentally, all those things, is there comes a point then when they won't or they can't, all right? And that's when the rubber meets the road. We haven't actually got these things thorough in, in what their understanding is. So when the horse softens the pole through response, which is based in trust and understanding. This, this builds a whole lot, all right, from the ground up into the saddle. But with relaxation in his whole body, then his structures can become available, all right? So taking this further on from where we started, we're talking about groundwork, simple things like lateral flexion, those sorts of things. If the horse knows that when you pick up the reins, he softens, he's, he relaxes through his body, he's not braced or um, rigid there, he's, he's, he becomes available there. It's hard to explain if you've not felt this, okay? For many of you, perhaps when you pick up the reins, nothing happens, or your horse braces already against you, and there's this heaviness that goes on between the two of you. And getting him to maneuver a position accurately is a chore. It's, it's difficult because of these things, all right? Among others, perhaps. It's, it's, it can, it's actually hard to describe what it's like to be sitting on a horse, if you've never felt it, and, and pick up those reins, and they just get ready. They get ready. There's a softening of the pole. They're, they gather themselves up, and they're prepared to go with you. This, what this means is that it, it's so much easier for the horse to feel a rider's change of position, the rider's communication through signal and balance, and for that horse and rider to move in harmony if there's that suppleness through their body. So that's kind of a subject for another day, right? That takes, that's taken it to more towards the end game of what I'm trying to, to talk about here. But I wanted you to see how, where we're going with this. The direct feel as a tool is not natural to the horse. The halter, the snaffle, the hackamore, whatever you ride them in, whatever you operate your groundwork in, whatever that tool is, asking that horse to soften at the pole, these things are not necessarily natural to the horse, all right? And it's up to us to be 100% clear in our own minds first that we're being consistent with the operation of that tool. So, in conclusion, the next time you pick up your lead rope, remember what the primary purpose 
of that tool is. And ask yourself, is what you are doing resulting in the horse flexing or softening the pole? Is that your primary aim when you put an ask on that lead rope? Is there a softening of the pole laterally? Is there a softening vertically or longitudinally? Maybe both. That's the primary purpose of that direct feel. They can only be as consistent as we are. So we first have to become very, very clear and precise in our own approach, in our own minds. I hope you find that helpful. I hope that that's given you something to think about. If you've enjoyed this, tell your friends. Share, share this, uh, the podcast around. It'd be great to have more and more of you following along and listening. And uh, just really appreciate your time. We'll catch you down the road. Well, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to American Cowboy in New Zealand. If you like this episode, please share and leave your five-star rating or review. Remember, you can find us on social media or our website, truewesthorsemanship.com.